The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is proudly brought to you by Callahan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. E-bikes are cool, they get you up hills. You get to work non-sweaty. If you want exercise, you can forget to charge it. Bike lanes are safe and great, but there is one drawback. A decent one is probably 2,500 bucks or more. Which, if you don't end up taking to it, is a very expensive Abflex-like enthusiasm bit of sporting kit to have sitting in the garage. Enter Big Street Bikers with a very cool idea. How about if you could get hold of a fantastic new e-bike and pay less a week to use it than you'd spend on your public transport? And after two years of that, you own it outright. During that two years, they will help you look after it and even charge it for you if you're near one of their solar-powered rechargeries. They have exploded onto the scene with a partnership with Mercury, a pop-up container rechargery in Auckland's viaduct, and so far, their biggest problem has been keeping up with demand. To talk, hitting a moment, e-bikes and the future, co-founder, North Shore Pony Club producer and DJ, 95 BFM radio host and award-winning advertising creative, Matt Weavers, joins us now. G'day. Oh, g'day, mate. Thank you for the wonderful intro. Oh, I didn't actually realise I could do all that stuff. It's all, yeah. all accurate yeah. and, and all happening at the moment. Should we, should we go back to that background? Like yeah, before, sure. Before sure. e-bikes, you're an ad creative with a finance background. Yeah, well, I sort of left university uh, with a finance degree and then uh, got involved with setting up a pirate radio station and uh, producing music, uh, which was sort of a li- little bit more interesting than the global financial crisis. So I um, ended up getting into the world of advertising, as one does, and then uh, things sort of spiraled out of control from there. How, how does one get into advertising? Uh, through uh, a lot of hard work and uh, mainly through a sort of slave labor sort of scenario. Oh, internships. You know, internships, Yeah. Yeah, so you go and work for free for ages. Basically, unfortunately, yeah. So I worked for free for maybe about a year and a half because uh, the GFC hit, um, which wasn't very fun, but I was DJing four nights a week to support that. So you can imagine as I sort of would wander into, into, the, uh, into the agency first thing in the morning on like three hours sleep. And be presented with like a wonderful brief to do a brochure for a health insurance company. Yeah. It's a good time. You're like nine Red Bulls in and it's <laughs> 9.33. Yeah, totally. Yeah, there's that great expression about advertising that um, I guess it's like lots of industries, but for the first half of your career, you get paid way less than you're worth. And then for the second half of the career. Yeah, it's fantastic. Way they, more. Well, they finally realize how valuable you are. Yeah, it, it's yeah. like a pyramid scheme of of life yeah it's quite weird i guess it's like that with all the creative industries though to some extent you know what did, what did you love about advertising uh, what, what kept you there working for free for a year and a half before <laughs> before getting uh in proper i guess uh and to, uh, probably one of the best things about the industry is the fact that you work on different things every day and you work on a massive range of different clients so like um 
for instance, you know, we'd work on a car brand one day, then the next day we'll be launching, a, you know, a fruit juice that looked like a dinosaur or, you know, whatever. So uh, it gives you a good opportunity to learn about a whole bunch of different industries and how they work. And then obviously the whole thing, if you're any good, huh, um, yeah. <laughs> is uh, based on like insights about human nature and stuff, which is sort of like the evil cool part of advertising. So um, yeah, I was quite fascinated by that in terms of like the psychology and the propaganda and all that sort of business. And, and seeing it work. Yeah, seeing it work is great. What what um what 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 kind of bits of work uh, did you make in advertising that you um really liked? Um, so I worked on a campaign for Fiji tourism where we turned it into the number one destination for uh, winter travellers, which is kind of cool in terms of um we put uh, temperature gauges about the ten uh, what the temperature was in Fiji all around the city. Yeah, they were the great. Dark, they yeah, were great. That was pretty cool, and that has been copied a million times since. Uh, launched uh, one of, oh, what did we do? It was like New Zealand's most successful uh, craft beer launch, which was pretty cool. Is that the one where everyone worked on choosing it kind of uh, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, so that was another sort of success, I guess. Other bits and pieces that I've done which are cool. Uh, promoting my music, I uh, got some tins of spam and then relabeled them as pony meat and put them around all the... Uh, all the radio stations. I think Nick Dwyer actually ate some on uh, George one morning, which is quite amusing. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. What, what about the buzz? Did you do you get a buzz out of seeing your work in the world, like going past and like seeing it or seeing an ad pop up on the TV or whatever? Um, I guess there is definitely some sort of pride in that, uh, but I guess that comes from a more creative place in terms. As I say, when I was a musician. Um, you know, I put out music and it'll be on BFM or it'll be on, you know, MTV Europe or whatever. And you'd be like, cool, I've actually contributed to something. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Yeah, tell me about the music. Like, um, so North Shore Pony Club is what uh, you're probably best known for and the long running uh, yeah. radio show on totally, BFM. Totally, yeah. Um, so we started out doing that. Uh, we basically just um, managed to get some songs onto BFM as many New Zealand bands that sort of where they start. And then off the back of that, we got picked up by some blogs overseas. We made some music videos, toured Europe, got onto MTV Europe through the uh, Kiwi Connection, which was pretty awesome. Yeah. Almost charted in the UK, which is pretty loose. Um, tried to claim that I wrote songs that, I actually, that were actually covers. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then got offered a full-time job in advertising, uh, which sort of put a dampener on my uh, ability to um, produce constantly. And, and travel and support and, of it and, and support stuff. It. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and, and I guess also with your uh, flavour of music, it's maybe not the most hospitable hours for also holding down a full-time gig. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think that's a very delicate way of putting that, but yes, I completely agree. I was very lucky to have uh, some freaking amazing experiences, though, you know, playing with all sorts of crazy people like Diplo, Soul Wax, you know, hanging out with these people backstage. It was good. Oh, that's so yeah. that's so exciting. And yeah, also cool. like you're, you're a pure expression of what you get up to because I imagine you didn't have like uh, a label telling you, no, you couldn't do what you wanted and don't make that video with the topless people kind of thing. <laughs> oh, that was such a fun experience shooting that music video. Yeah. Um, yeah, we didn't really have a label. Well, we actually signed to three different labels over the course of our musical uh, career. Um, which was a good insight into how to deal with a bigger system than us, I guess, if you know what I mean. Because um, none of those things actually really worked out. But yes, we definitely ran into lots of like, um, oh, you can't sample that song, you can't do this, you can't do this. So we just did it all ourselves and said... What um what are the similarities to like business and brands? Because a lot of the advertising you were doing was, you know, really like pointy end of like brand building yeah, stuff that people totally. kind of love and is really interesting. Um 
is, is having your own business kind of like running your own little brand or is that kind of like a way of talking about it that makes it sound not as cool as it was? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think definitely these days in terms of pop music and um, where things sit, uh, definitely the brand thing is massive, you know? Uh, for instance, say you look at a uh, bad example would be Justin Timberlake's latest brand relaunch, yeah, yeah. if you know what I mean. So now he's like a man of the earth and he's like a, you know, uh, he's like a cowboy American, you know. Um, well, it works because he's got like Timber and Lake in his uh, yeah. name and now everything's <laughs> all like. <laughs> yeah, but that's like yeah. a calculated thing that some creatives have come up with, like sitting in Capitol Records or whatever in Los Angeles. But I guess they um, make it seem really organic and natural. Yeah, quite like the visual, weird. the visual representation of, of his relaunch. Yeah. It's nice. Yeah, it's, yeah it, looks, it looks like a Levi's ad from a couple of years ago. It's really yeah, yeah, like, lush. Or like know? Bon Iver or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was a Levi's campaign that came out with like Walt Whitman and stuff, uh, which is sort of like referencing that. It's like a well-referenced campaign, which lots of people go, oh, we want to do that then. Yeah, yeah. And then they yeah, did. Yeah, which is cool. Uh-huh. They did, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, there's definitely like a lot of similarities, I would say, in terms of... Uh, band it's sort of i guess when you get the brand into the band it can um destroy any of the creativity which is pretty lame because you sort of uh it's not as pure as it was yeah but it, like in terms of like the good bits of brand building which i guess would be making something that fits into the culture and people um there's very few ways to say this that don't sound whack but like that people you know vibe off or connect to or whatever yeah totally totally um yeah i think definitely if you're going to have a bigger band then you need to think about your brand <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like I could write a book about that, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there's always that. For a bigger band, think about your brand. Uh, and tell me, <laughs> how did you get into e-bikes? What was your um, So basically, so it all started when I moved to the top of a big hill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or like anywhere in Auckland. And like basically got sick of uh, driving into work and paying whatever, $20 a day parking. Because I actually, I was close enough to work to walk, but too lazy to walk because there was a hill. So I was like, okay, I'm going to get an electric bike. And this was probably about three and a half, four years ago. Um, so I bought this retro cruiser style electric bike, which I don't think I've seen any others in New Zealand like it still, um, and started riding that around. And it was awesome. I thought it was going to fall apart because it was from China or whatever, like immediately, but it's actually still going now. So it's really cool. That's great. And, yeah. and, and from that, you just became a convert. Like it, it seems an obvious kind of solution to Auckland is um, very hilly. Yeah. And traffic really sucks. Totally. Maybe a bike with an engine. It's pretty logical, eh, when yeah. you think about it. Um, I think we're living in one of the most uh, hilly countries, hilly cities in the world, I think. Yeah, yeah. With all the volcanoes. Volcano. Um, so, yeah, it made a lot of sense. But when I was riding my bike, there weren't any other electric bikes around. There was maybe a couple of other people that had sort of done like the DIY. Um, I built an electric bike in my shed sort of scenario, which is pretty cool. And, and that's so weird. Like it's been quite a fringe thing and it's like, you, you know, coming into the mainstream, which is part of the thing that you, you guys are helping make mm. happen. But if you travel like which you have, you know, touring yeah. around the yeah, world totally. and like yeah, yeah. living in other places and yeah. being, being an interested citizen of the world, <laughs> like in Japan, like uh, electric bikes are so commonplace that, you know, that they just leave them unlocked everywhere yeah it's crazy huh i guess in china it's been the main form of transport there for like the last 15 to 20 years i think so i think with the battery technology finally sort of really kicking in um that sort of enabled it sort of to uh hit the next generation of technology which is pretty cool so what happened between you getting on the bike uh enjoying riding the bike and coming up with big street bikers with your crew um so basically i fled to europe (laughs) for the winter 
um, and left my bike with a close friend. Um, so when I got back from Europe and was like, can I get my bike back? He was like, oh, I don't want to give it back because it's so awesome. And then he was like, we should import a whole bunch of these things and start a thing. So uh, I was kind of cynical and his enthusiasm sort of carried it over, which was great. And then now here we are with like a solar powered recharger and like, you know, hundreds of bikes. Yeah. Let, let's talk about that, Jenny. How, yeah. So how did you go from, um, you know, finding the bikes uh, and, and bringing them in to then having this amazing recharger setup going on? Um, basically, I guess after years in advertising, we're used to having sort of sponsorship meetings to some degree. Yeah. Um, yeah who, who's your partner in it? So it's Mercury Energy. Oh, just, oh. No, just Mercury, actually. Mer Mer Mercury. Who's your partner in um, oh, so, Bikes? Uh, so my friend Andrew. Yeah, who's uh, like a, so he comes from an advertising and technology background, but he has worked as a suit in like a bunch of agencies as well. Um, so basically, we approached Mercury um, because obviously they are doing a, they're doing a whole bunch of stuff for e-biking, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Uh, so it was like a natural brand alignment, and we went and spoke to them, and we were like, "Cool, we want to do this thing with the subscription. Um, are you keen?" How did you land on the subscription side of things? Well, the subscription thing, I guess the main barriers to entry in terms of the e-biking movement movement uh, is um, the cost to entry, all right, and then the safety. Um, and we sort of thought that if we can try and overcome those two things, then e-bikes could help transform Auckland. So uh, subscription thing, obviously overseas, lots of things are being sold, subscription as a service sort of thing. So it kind of made a lot of sense when an e-bike can cost, you know, anywhere between two and a half and like six grand. Mm. So in order to get uh, the most number of people onto it as possible, we had to make it affordable for everyone. And so you've got like, it's actually a rent to buy scheme, isn't yeah, it? Rather than yeah, a subscription because yeah, yeah. people, people will own them at the end. <laughs> uh, but for two years and it's 30 bucks a week. Was that something you landed on because it's, you know, cheaper than your hop for the week? Or yeah, whatever? totally. Yeah. So the whole thought was that we didn't need to make something that's cheaper than the bus or cheaper than a two hours in a downtown car park. So that was like a really key price point. Um, originally, we wanted to do it so that it wasn't going to be two years long. So I think we've actually landed on an 18-month thing at the moment. Um, but we're also offering six-month and 12-month packages as well, which is slightly more expensive. But uh, I guess once we reach phase two of the business, which will hopefully be in the next three or four months, then we'll be able to self-finance it. So people will be able to just rent one for two months at right. a certain amount a week. Right. And is that part of the model as well, the renting thing? Because I... I so I've been using one of the yeah, bikes. Yeah, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, I've uh, loved it, and yeah, like yeah. Um, one of my big, um, you, you know, one of the big barriers for me was like I I like riding my bike. I don't like being sweaty. E bikes make sense. I don't really want to buy one in case I don't use it enough yeah, to justify totally. the cash. Yeah. But by renting one for a few weeks, yeah. I've now found that it works perfectly in my life, and so I'm using it. And exactly. Yeah. This is not a, a, a paid or sponsorship situation, <laughs> but like that really broke down the barrier for yeah. me. So I think um, just there's a certain thing that you get with people when they first get on an e-bike and they have this like ridiculous grin, which is quite good. And I think um, by lending people bikes and giving them bikes for a little while, then it becomes part of their life and part of their routine, which they think is mainly what we want to do. Because so, I guess what we're trying to get out there is like a behavioral change amongst people. So they're getting used to not being in their cars and getting used to be on e-bikes. So if we can lend someone a bike for a week and that's going to help change that, then it's a really good thing. Yeah, and like you say about the safety being the other barrier, I've found a route to work that's 100% cycle lanes except awesome. for like, I don't know, 300 metres or something, which is bananas. Like, like they're there, like it really is safe. But what else can you do about the safety thing that people are concerned about? Um, so I guess when you get one of our bikes, you get a safety briefing sort of thing so people learn how to ride it properly. And then uh, we've got a campaign coming out uh, which is all about e-bike cycling tips 
which is all about trying to build a community where we can um, do things together and like um, make people friendly at the lights. So you have a chat with fellow e-bikers and all that sort of cultural sort of stuff. But um, in terms of the education from, well, say for instance, so I rode down here um, from the top of College Hill and there were lots of buses, right? And buses and e-bikes are a little bit freaky, maybe. Um, so I think there's probably something that the government could do in terms of the education, especially with the bus drivers, oh, I- which could be a massive thing. So they do this cool thing in Spain, right, where e-bikes and biking is really popular, where um, before you become a bus driver, you've got to spend a day on a bike. Yes. You know, and like that makes a lot of sense to me. And if we did something like that here, it would actually make everything a lot safer for everyone. I was like, they should do that. Like, I would love to meet the person at Auckland Transport who was like, I'll tell you what, we're going to put the most vulnerable people on the entire road bicyclists yeah. next to the in, in the same lane <laughs> as like 13 meter long yeah 10 ton totally double decker genocidal yeah. buses fucking tanks <laughs> yeah that was with grump with people have to deal with people all day so they're grumpy driving them yeah, yeah that, that seems bananas but like the the protected cycleways are certainly helping and what about rain like does everyone go but what about the rain well not at this point in time because it hasn't been too rainy admittedly we've had a couple of almost cyclones but um yeah i think the whole I guess you've got to draw the comparison between, say, New Zealand and Europe, right, with that. So, like, in Europe, it rains and then it snows and people are still cycling, you know? So, I think it's more of a cultural shift and people will get used to it when they see more people doing it on the roads. Mm. Um, you know, I've ridden through winter and it's not that bad. I, I fixed it by having a change of work, uh, change of clothes yeah, at, at work. <laughs> yeah, 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 right, Because right. for when it gets stuck. We've, it, got these, we've got these fancy ponchos though as well. So we've just partnered with like, uh, what are they called? The People's Poncho in London, yeah. where they sell cat clothes of these things and they're like fashionable. They become like fashion items. Yeah, there really is a cultural shift though around, um, you, you know, like that Dutch thing of leaning over and opening your door yeah, when yeah. you're the driver with totally. the other hand so mm. that way you're forced to look backwards and yeah. then see if there's a cyclist coming towards your your door which would be a great thing to have here and also i think um e-bikes there's got to be a change in understanding that they move faster yeah totally so i guess especially when you're you know in and out of traffic that's like a massive thing but it's probably one of those things where like the more people that start doing it the safer it's going to be for everyone yeah people people will clock me on the bike and go he's not make he's not going to be here very quickly because he's on a bike but little do they know that i'm going at like 30ks an hour yeah totally i guess in the central city because the traffic's so bad we're actually traveling faster than the traffic i think the average speed of the traffic in auckland city itself is like 28 kilometers an hour and our bikes can go what 30 whatever Mm -hmm. so you know and what have you had to like upskill so it's been quite a quick um yeah, growth curve totally. and like you know from let's get some bikes to <laughs> meeting with mercury and now yeah. you have like the rechargery yeah with solar power on it yeah how, how, good. how do you make all that happen um through lots of hard work <laughs> i guess and getting the right sort of people around you has been so important and also yeah mainly those two things i guess yeah uh, it has been a bit of a learning curve um I don't know, say for instance, I had to build the website, which is something that I would choose not to do generally, but now I know how to do that. Mm. Um, that wasn't very fun. And then build a finance model, I imagine, yeah. which is something you do, do know how to do, well, but might has, not have done for a while. It has been a very long time since I actually built a business model on Excel. But uh, luckily I have, I, I guess surrounding yourself by uh, with skillful friends is kind of useful. So I would start something and then go to a friend and be like, hey bro, I'm just doing this thing. 
would you like to borrow a bike for a week? And I was like, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So it was more friends and negotiation, perhaps. Get, you know? get deep in my Excel cells. Yeah, there. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of um, the next stages, like what what's happening next? So you've got like this this partnership with Mercury who are putting it out to their yeah. massive numbers of people. You've got bikes to rent. Mm. Uh, so probably the next steps are we're going to try and take over the inner city of Auckland with um, a bike share scheme, <laughs> just casually. Uh, so we're in talks with um, people up on K Road, people in Ponsonby, uh, Auckland Uni, and a whole bunch of other businesses to try and uh, get something up and running before the council do, I guess. Um, and then the other part of that is that we're also doing um, fleet leases for uh, forward-thinking sustainable companies that want to get involved in changing the face of the city. Yeah, so that what they can like nip between their offices yeah. on the bikes. Yeah, we've had um, maybe three or four different companies sign up so far. So you can either nip between offices on bikes or they can offer... Um, an electric bike subscription to their staff is a healthy perk. So instead of a gym membership or health insurance, you get a bike. And are other people doing this? Are there competitors in the subscription um, as a service no. kind of model? No. no. So that's quite good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah We're definitely making it up as we go along, but um, it seems to be working. So that's great. That's great. And the questions that we like to ask everyone. Yeah, good. Yeah. Are there, are there kind of like, um, you do you have, uh, you've, you've got quite some uh, starting out kind of, entrepreneurially minded people working with you what what advice do you give to people starting out uh so i guess it'll be surround yourself with a good team of people um because you're going to be working with them a lot so you want to make sure they're not assholes because that'll be make things um rather difficult um and then maybe some other advice will be to just keep on doing what you're doing and um yeah even if you get there, there will be heaps of setbacks and it's important just to keep on you know uh keep on working at it I guess people call it, what is a fancy word for it now? You pivot. Oh, you pivot. You pivot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to pivot. We're going to pivot and become an ice cream company. You know, whatever. So you've got to, got to be flexible with got that. Got to be flexible with that, eh? Yeah. What, uh, what words do you live by? Do you have any words that you come back to? or uh, Words that I live by would be, well, other than working really, really hard, um, I would probably say that you should never underestimate the power of a nap. Because a, a good nap in the afternoon for at least 20 minutes, 20 minutes of maybe three quarters of an hour, you can actually uh, feel refreshed and wonderful and then carry on working all through the night. Yeah, total reset. Yeah. And is there anything that uh, that you wish that you'd known earlier? I guess uh, if 10 years ago I'd known that it's okay to work on like 10 things at once, then um, that would probably have put me in a better place than I am today. Um, often when you start out, you've got to either be, you know, you've got to follow a career path, uh, which can be really good, but... Um, if you uh, work on 10 things at once, it can be a lot more exciting. Yeah, like it's okay to have lots of interests and it's kind of energizing. Yeah, so say at the moment I'm doing a documentary in Ibiza, uh, doing a hydro-powered cryptocurrency mine project, which is launching in two weeks. <laughs> uh, I've got an antacid pill called Bung, which is hopefully coming out. I'm doing luxury vitamins. What else is there? There's quite a few things, you know? So bikes is part of this and it's a major part of this at the moment. But yeah, keep on working on a whole bunch of stuff. It's great. Uh, that's awesome. I can't wait to see where, where you go with those other... I've got an album coming out as well, so yeah, stay tuned for that. With those avenues. Well, yeah. if people would like to keep up with the journey, uh, I guess the first stop would be to head to Big Street Bikers. Yeah, head to bigstreetbikers.co.nz and uh, check out what we're doing or pop down to the Recharger at 18 Viaduct Harbour Ave and come and say hi. Come enjoy a coffee and a free ride around the Viaduct. Ah, that's choice. Well, nice. thank you. Uh, I've very much enjoyed my steps into uh, e-biking. Wonderful. <laughs> what about the name, actually? One yeah, last thing. I don't like the name, e-biking. e-biking. It sounds like you're having like a vape. It yeah, sounds terrible. We need, to, we need to come up with a better name for e-biking where it's like 
free riding and it's like everything that you like everything about it is great except like saying you e-bike or actually so there is a term which i heard a lecky i've got a lecky bike or it's a lecky you know i don't know seems a bit weird yeah there's got to be something better. as soon as we actually get like young cool people on it then i'm sure the uh, vernacular will uh, appear something will catch up yeah totally yeah. Awesome. well thank you for nice joining one. us Matt cool. thank you mate of big street bikers thank you very much alice webbledore thank for you producing. and thank you very much for listening if you do have any uh tips commentaries queries theories hit us up on twitter at simon underscore pound you've been listening to business is boring presented by simon pound Brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.